When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. Welcome to 49ers Access. My name is Sterling Bennett. This is episode number 56 of the podcast, and today... We're going to react to the 49ers Week 10 victory against the Los Angeles Rams in primetime Monday Night Football. Also going to preview the 49ers Week 11 matchup against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Usually do one podcast for each game to react and preview, but this week my, my workload has uh, kind of caught up on me until I have to condense the podcast into one. But my question today is, do we believe again? Is it time we finally give Jimmy Garoppolo the respect he deserves? Is Debo Samuel a top five receiver in the NFL? And have the Niners finally found their identity? And that's where we begin today's show. With a win on Monday night against the Los Angeles Rams, the San Francisco 49ers secured their first win at home at Levi Stadium in 393 days. They are now 1-4 on the season at home. And the win was their 50th win on Monday Night Football. Ties them for the most in NFL history with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Talk about being a, a, a storage franchise in the NFL. But I want to backtrack a little bit here prior to discussing this Rams game. Because following the Cardinals game, I discussed... The Niners' offensive breakdown between the pass and the run. What is the snap percentage? What is the snap percentage breakdown between the pass and the run? I went through, since Shanahan got to San Francisco, 2017, and ran it all the way down to 2021. And what we found was that the years San Francisco was successful... Their offense was more of a 50-50 split, or at least leaning that way. And I will read the numbers off here. 2017, a 61% pass percentage. 2018, 57%. 2019, 50.7%, so almost 50-50. 2020, a 57.94%. And 2021, prior to Monday night's game, 57. The numbers were leaning to another losing season for the 49ers. Well, against the Rams this past week, the 49ers passed the football 42% of the time. Excuse me, 32% of the time. I cannot do math. The Niners passed the football 32% of the time. They ran the ball 68% of their snaps versus the Rams. 
That is their highest rate in the last 20 games dating back to 2020. And prior to Monday night's victory against those hated Los Angeles Rams, San Francisco ran the ball about 43% of the time in 2021. And again, of course, in 2019, being the most successful season under Kyle Shanahan, their offense was a near 50-50 split. And my point is, Monday's game against the Rams was a, an offense that was headed in the right direction. Now, maybe it was an overcorrection, running the ball 68% of the time. And I do think as the games goes on, as you play Jacksonville and Minnesota, that will come down a little bit. You'll get into tighter games. It'll go down to, you know, 64% and 60%. Then it'll find itself back down near a 50-50 split, which is where San Francisco wants it to be, where they've proven to be the most successful. But where did it all start? Did it start before the game? Did it start in the week of you know, a practice? Where did this all start? Technically, you could say it started before the game because Jimmy Ward and other leaders on this team, the one thing we criticized was leadership, right? We're the dogs. Be a dog. Well, those dogs got together, Jimmy Ward, Fred Warner, other leaders on the team, and had a players-only meeting. Now, for many of you, and even myself to a certain point, it was like, okay, that is a... An example of this team maybe being at a point of desperation. And I think, as a fan base, we all felt that desperation. So I think it's right to say, yes, this franchise, this team, currently was at a point of desperation. As players, they needed to grab the bull by the horns. Grab the reins. Say, we're going to control where this ship goes, where this carriage leads us. We're in control of our destiny. We can no longer rely on our head coach who is this genius offensively or outside interference to affect things. We have to be in control on the gridiron, in between the white lines. We are the ones who can control our destiny, the outcome of games. So the dog mentality, which we all criticize them for not having, those dogs showed up on Monday night. They barked back. You could say, excuse the pun. But the first drive of the game, following Jimmy Ward's interception, th- this drive, I I think it was kind of the epitome of, you know, we're back. And again, this is one one game. I'm not sitting here saying like, we're going to the Super Bowl, or, or the division's ours. No, no, no. This was the epitome of, there is still that 2019 Niners in this team. Might be a different version. They might struggle with other things. But there is still this version of that 2019 team, the offense at least, on this roster still. They have the ability to still be that team. Their first drive offensively of this game. 11 minutes and 3 seconds. It lasted in an, nearly an entire quarter of play. It was 18 plays, 13 run plays, 5 passing plays, and it led and ended with a Jimmy Garoppolo to George Kittle touchdown in the red zone. And in the postgame press conference, I think Garoppolo 
while trying to kind of, you know, play PR, not not talk, you know, too poorly of another team, I think he put it perfectly. He said it kind of took their soul away when talking about the first drive against the Rams. And when I heard that, that it just blew me away. And not to be like, oh, I, I, I was an all Garoppolo's quote, but the fact that he felt that, the quarterback felt it, means the offensive line felt it, the defense felt it, the sideline felt it, and best believe the fans at Levi Stadium, the faithful, they felt it. That drive set the tone for the game. It let the Rams know, you're not coming into our house in prime time and beating us while we're down. We are not some dead dog lying on the ground. You can kick it a couple more times. We're going to fight back. We're aggressive. We're in control once again. That drive permeated through the entire game. And I don't know about you, but it felt very much like or reminiscent of the 2019 NFC Championship game against the Packers where the Niners were dominating on Every front, every front, offensively, running the ball, O-line, defensive line, linebackers, secondary, everything was all 49ers. And that's what it felt like. Like, the front lines were helmed by the leaders. They commanded that first drive. Jimmy Ward, a captain of this team, interception. The offense, Jimmy Garoppolo, Kittle, Debo, Trent Williams, Elijah Mitchell, who has become this amazing draft pick late in this year's draft, who has arguably been the best pick of the draft so far. He has, they have, excuse me, the unit, the leaders, the dogs, they came to play. And on the front line, they asked this team to come to war with us in prime time. Fight for us. We're not done just yet. And the first drive was really somewhat of a rallying cry. And now, I'm I'm going to go full nerd on you here, and and I I do love the Lord of the Rings, and I don't know what the battle was, but, uh, or even who the characters were exactly, but um, they're they're on the battlefield, and I'm pretty sure it was near Helm's Deep. (laughs) I, I believe it's a third one, too. And the leaders, the captains of the militia, the army, are running back and forth on their horses, riding back and forth, and they're hitting their swords on their their front-line spears, letting the back know, we're going to war. That's what that first drive was. We're going to war. Come with us. And that's exactly what happened. The faithful got in that game. The crowd was lively all night, just like it was in 2019. The offense was in a groove. Kyle Shanahan was in that rhythm the entire game. Nothing could stop this team. Nothing. Maybe a, a few couple plays where you're like, oh, that, that wasn't great. Things you can clean up for sure. Definitely. But the dogs that we all said, they, they, they have no dogs. Jerry Rice said this team has no dogs. Well, this team brought the dogs out on Monday night. When you needed them most, the dogs were ready to play. 
And I want to go through some of the plays here and and pick out some of the players, read you some of the just insane stats that I, I think as fans, we kind of need to kind of sit back and go, wow, we got something here. Despite how bad the year has been, we all know it's been awful. Four and five is not where this team should have been. It's not where this team really needs to be, where we expected them to be. But there are still so many bright spots on this team, especially now they're actually finding themselves, finding their identity again as a run-first team, as a 50-50 split team, as a team, like Garoppolo puts it, cohesively works together. Notable plays, Ward's first interception, kind of already talked about it, big turning point, kind of lit that fire early. Then the pick six, which was kind of a weird play, like hit off the receiver's hand, kind of was in the air for like a very short period of time, but somehow Ward, it ended up in his hands. But that was his first interception since December 11th, 2016, almost five years to the day, his last interception. And his last defensive touchdown came in 2015. Talk about a guy who not not only needed that, but for a team who was in desperation mode, I think the guy who needed it most, Jimmy Ward, was the perfect person to make these huge plays early. Knowing he was on IR, knowing he had talked a little bit of, I don't want to say crap, but he he had talked about Matthew Stafford in the offseason, and like, you know, he's the same quarterback he was in Detroit. They didn't go to the playoffs. They had Calvin Johnson. And he came in with that mentality of, look, I mean, you're a good quarterback, top 10 in my eyes, but uh, we can still beat you, (laughs) and beat you bad. So Ward, just those two plays, just that kind of encapsulated the Niners season of we're in desperation mode, the guy who has missed the last few weeks who would have helped us against teams like Arizona comes in and he makes the first big play and then has arguably the biggest defensive player of the year, if not for Greenlaw's pick six in week one against Detroit. Then we have the fake field goal, which Sean McVay, it seems like every single time he plays Kyle Shanahan, he's kind of in his own head. And it's very similar to Shanahan himself sometimes, where like he's too smart for his own good. You know, we're like, oh, like you're just pushing too hard. You're trying too hard. It's kind of what McVay was doing here because I believe at the time the game was like 21 to, to 7 or 17 to 7, something like that. And it's 21 to 7, excuse me. And if you kick a field goal, you go down 10 21 at halftime, which is a much more manageable score. You're down two scores still, but still manageable than 7 to 21. They do this fake field goal, and DJ Jones. Phenomenal play. Phenomenal play. Hufanga, great heads-up play to stay back. Don't be too aggressive. And Flanagan Foles, phenomenal job in coverage on this fake field goal attempt they had. Uh, Again, a huge turning point in this game where it seemed like the Rams may have been trying to claw their way back into the game. McVay tried to pull out a bag of tricks, and the Niners were ready for it all the way. And uh, their uh, special teams coach, Richard Hightower, Phenomenal job getting your guys ready for a team like the Rams who do like to run a ton of trick plays. Uh, so again, just all hats off to the guys involved in that play. Jones, Hufanga, and Flanagan Foles. 
Then, just my opinion, besides Kittle's touchdown uh, and Devo's running touchdown earlier in the game, this 4th and 5 touchdown from Garoppolo to Debo, uh, it was kind of like a point where of like, we're not just going to beat you, we're going to shove it down your freaking throat. And not like in a in, in you know a mean way, but more so of like, why not keep going? You know, foot to the floor, pedal to the metal, like we're going all the way. And Jimmy talked about this after the game, where he talked about, you know, this felt good to get that call from Kyle Shanahan, where he felt the offense was rolling, and he and he being Jimmy thought that it was the right call at the right time, and. It, you can kind of tell Jimmy was like, you know, like, it kind of feels nice to have my head coach having confidence in me that I can pull this playoff. Where I, I was playing up to par for him and has kind of proven to him, at least in this game, that he can trust me on fourth and five in a game where maybe you really didn't need to go for it there. You didn't need to have that first down. You could have punted or kicked a field goal or whatever you know the choice would have been at that point. But you can tell Jimmy was like, man, like I think coach likes me. <laughs> um, so again, these plays are kind of plays that I saw that were like, wow, like the, these were notable kind of, I don't want to say season turning plays, but maybe, maybe the ward pick six and the ward INT early was maybe Jimmy's fourth and five play gives Jimmy more confidence going against Jacksonville on Sunday. And if they went on Sunday, maybe it goes, against Minnesota, who is in the NFC wildcard picture, who we need to beat. But going from plays to now players, those who make the plays, <laughs> uh, and I think the first one we have to point out uh, is Debo Samuel. He And congratulations to Debo, the NFC player of Offensive Player of the Week. He's the second Niner to win that award in the same season, or two times in the same season, the other one is Jerry Rice. Again, really showing the progression of Debo Samuel as a receiver, as a player, as a weapon in this offense. And I want to read you off some stats here because I really do want to kind of try to simplify this Debo Samuel conversation of what Debo has done this year. Well, maybe he isn't the number one guy. Cooper Cup, in my opinion, this year has been the number one receiver in football. But what he's doing offensively has just been... Talk about wanting an offensive weapon. Debo Samuel is the perfect offensive weapon. You can argue, well, he isn't 6'5", 230. He's not Calvin Johnson. He's not Adrian Peterson built or Derrick Henry, he is kind of the perfect mixture of a running back and receiver that can do and play both positions extremely well. So this year alone, in all-purpose yards, which is you know rushing and receiving yards, Debo Samuel ranks third in the NFL. He's behind the Colts' Jonathan Taylor, who has a little over 1,200 yards, and Cooper Cup, who is the most targeted receiver in football this season, who has a little over uh, 1,100. And Debo Samuel is just behind him. Is only actually only 52 yards behind him. So Debo Samuel is roughly almost has the second most all-purpose yards in football this year. 
and he's playing on a team that isn't seven and two, seven and three. He's playing on a four and five team, a team who has a losing record, who got their their butts stumped in against the Cardinals, who were zero and four coming into this season, to this game, excuse me, at home. On top of that, Debo Samuel has nine hundred and seventy nine receiving yards this season, just twenty one shy of the one thousand yard mark, with. Eight games remaining. He's second in the league behind Cooper Cup, who again has 1,141 yards receiving, but Debo has 31 less receptions. Debo Samuel is averaging 18.1 yards per reception. If I could curse on this show, you would get a holy bleep. <laughs> Because Debo Samuel is that dude. He's that dog. He dog. He's a top five receiver in the NFL this year. And I think we're at a point now in his career where any team would want Debo Samuel. Any team. And how long has it been since the Niners have had a receiver that any team would want? I know we have Kittle and guys like that. Like, we have Kittle and Trent Williams, two guys which most teams would want. But look at teams who have even good receiving cores. The Chiefs would want Debo Samuel. The Vikings would want Debo Samuel. The Bengals would want Debo Samuel. The Titans would definitely want Debo Samuel. I mean, let's be honest here, Debo's probably playing running back in Tennessee right now. Like, that's how insane he's been offensively. Insane he's been. I've talked about it. Uh, Michael Robinson has talked about it on NFL Network. Debo is Anquan Bolden 2.0. He really is. And just what he's been able to do consistently, like, this is not a guy who's had one good game or two good games. No, 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 no. This is a guy, week in, week out, doesn't have the most targets, doesn't have the most touches or catches, but he's outperforming almost the entire NFL with a quarterback who many people deem as average, below average, limited in what he can do offensively. A team who barely beat the Eagles. A team who lost to the Packers at home. An offense that has been inconsistent who at one point has had to play a full game with a rookie quarterback in his first career start. Like, what Debo's doing doesn't happen. Ever, really. It's not just a breakout year, it's beyond a breakout year. This is a breakout year on top of a breakout year. Like, if Debo had half the yards, 600 yards, you go, oh, he's he's, he's on pace for 1,000. Oh, wow, that's great. No, no, no. He will get 1,000 yards against Jacksonville and have seven games to go. He could roughly have, and I have the stats here for you. Uh, Debo Samuel this year is on pace to record 1,700, over 1,700 yards and 96 receptions. And this is only per 16 games. He gets a 17th game this year. Debo could easily have. And let's say he's not going to continue on the pace he's on. Even if it's 1,400 yards, 1,500 yards, and 100 receptions, 92 receptions, that's Pro Bowl. That's All-Pro. That's top-five receiver conversation. 
And that's not including the rushing yards he has. Now, so far, it's not been a lot. 58 yards on the ground, a couple touchdowns. But he might have over 103 yards. And if they utilize him like a running back continuously or more so as the season goes on to get the ball in his hands more, what if he has 200 yards rushing? 300 yards rushing? Like, we're talking about a very unique offensive season for a player. And we get to witness it every single week. Like, it, it just, it's unfathomable what Debo Samuel's doing week in, week out. Moving on from Debo, I want to talk about George Kittle. Because I'm someone who talked about earlier on in the year of why Kittle isn't getting touches. Why Kittle isn't getting maybe the run he deserves. He's a player who really should be touching the ball four, five, seven times a game. Like, why is Darren Waller, who, again, earlier on this year had like 13 touches in one game, why can't Kittle have six, seven? Well, now that he's back, now that he's healthy, he's finally getting those touches. Five catches, 50 yards, 10 yards on average, and had a touchdown. Also had seven targets, the most on the team. On top of that, though, Monday was the first time in George Kittle's career he scored touchdowns in consecutive games. Now, I couldn't believe that when I read it. George Kittle, who I think we all can agree is at least a top three tight end in football. He's paid like it. He's one of the best blockers. He's great in the running game. And he's an above average, if not a top five, receiving tight end, especially with yards after the catch. But when I read, it's the first time in his career he has had back-to-back games with touchdowns. Blew my mind kind of in the wrong way, (laughs) where I was like, that's not the greatest, like, that's not a great stat. Like, that's not the best indication of how you're being used in the offense. But it seems like, at least in the red zone, where he has got these two touchdowns, they're finally starting to utilize him consistently, which is what they need to do. And it all permeates back to, or goes back to, finding their identity. And in my opinion, the biggest uh, maybe point to look at here is the quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo is having one of the best three-game stretches of his career. Now, it's not going to blow you away with yards and and the stats. But in his last three games, he almost has a 70 comp percentage. He has six total touchdowns, a rating of 109.8, and he's averaging nine, almost 10 yards per attempt. All the talk of, well, Jimmy's going to get benched. And again, I'm guilty of this. If the Niners had lost to the Bears, I think it was time. The season's lost, obviously. But Jimmy, being the wonderful, handsome man he is, (laughs) he decided, no, no, no. I'm going to prove to all of you, this is my team, and I'm a good player. I'm not who you think I am. And I'm someone who does stand by Jimmy, who thinks he's a very good quarterback, who thinks that this fan base or a portion of it unfairly hates him for, again, some viable reasons, but other than that, really nothing much other than, well, I want Trey, or I want a mobile quarterback, and Jimmy's not that. And I get 
he has limitations, but what we've seen these past three weeks, again, since week eight, so a little bit the Colts game pretty much. So the was it, was it the Bears game? Excuse me, sorry, the Bears game. I cannot count. I'm I'm so sorry. <laughs> the Bears game. Week eight against the Bears all the way to week ten versus the Rams. Garoppolo is now passing the ball 96% of the time out of shotgun. And in those three weeks, he leads again the NFL in passer rating 109.8, almost a 110 passer rating, and 9.5 yards per attempt. That's insane. And prior to the Bears game, so again, now that's the Colts game, and behind, his shotgun pass percentage, snap percentage, is up 30%. It was at 66, now it's at 96. But since that change was made, he is PFF's highest graded passer. It goes Josh Allen 5, who I think we all would want Trey Lance to be, of course, if not better. Dak Prescott, who is firmly a top 10 quarterback in this league. Kirk Cousins, who I think is overhated, but also sometimes overrated. Then Justin Fields, who I think we all can agree is having a solid rookie season and is starting to turn things around, turn things up, and has been the prime example as to why we should play Trey Lance. Then there's Mac Jones, who I think we all can compare Jimmy to pre-draft. Then there's Jimmy Garoppolo, ahead of one guy that we thought would be the example as to why we should play Trey Lance and Fields. Kirk Cousins and Mac Jones, who we think are Jimmy prototype kind of players. And then Dak Prescott and Josh Allen, who we would love Trey Lance to be. Jimmy Garoppolo is, or has a higher passer grade than all of those players. Higher than Mahomes. Higher than Jackson. Higher than Brady. In the last three weeks, the NFL's best quarterback, based on PFF's graded passer rating is Jimmy freaking Garoppolo. We're living in a moment right now in San Francisco. (laughs) Debo's having a career year. Kittle's finally getting touches and Garoppolo is the NFL's highest rated passer. The, the, the gif of Jim Halpert going, what is going on? That's what comes to mind. (laughs) It's just one of those weeks and Again, it just blows my mind as to, one, how we are 4-5, and five, and where did this come from? This was not the team who was playing Green Bay at home or playing the Cardinals last week. Now, there were glimpses of it last week against the Cardinals, but, man, we're living in a moment, faithful. Living in a moment. On top of that, though, on third down. One of the biggest things we talked about how this team, which is or historically has been good with Garoppolo on third down, was not doing it this year. And like a three week stretch, they were like 17, 18, like 30%. It was really bad. Like really bad. And that's why they were losing games. They were not efficient offensively. But Jimmy Garoppolo against the Rams said, Hey, you want to see something cool? <laughs> he went seven for nine on third and fourth down. For 123 yards and two touchdowns, six of the seven completions gained first downs, and the seventh 
would have been a first down, but it became a touchdown. (laughs) You want to talk about a team running on full cylinders. All systems go. That was what San Francisco was doing against the Rams Monday night. Their third down percentage, 8 for 14, 57%, again, could still be better. But you talk about a game you look at and go, that's a season changer. That's a game that can turn this tide. It's the Rams game. It's the Niners win over the LA Rams. The 31-10 victory. 21-point margin of victory. And it, it, it doesn't just start with the offense either. The defense was phenomenal. I ran through the Rams offense rankings. Coming into Monday, they were second in points scored. They were held to 10 points. One touchdown. They were third in total touchdowns. Again, held to one touchdown. They were second in total passing yards. Excuse me, they they were first in total passing yards. They averaged 243 yards. They were second in total passing touchdowns. Again, one touchdown. They only allowed 12 sacks all year. The Niners had two. What happened on Sunday, and I'll keep going here, was a complete annihilation of a team that was looking to claw their way into first place in the division. Matthew Stafford, all the talk of the Niners should have got Matthew Stafford. He, he's a top five quarterback. And again, having a great year, all due respect to him and his life here pretzel at the fan. So do with that what you will. <laughs> not a fan of wasting salted bread, but uh, go ahead. Why not? Um, but uh, Matthew Stafford, the Niners, just like they held Kyler Murray to his worst game of the season when Trey Lance made his debut, the Niners held Matthew Stafford to his worst game of the season. He had the least amount of yards all year, looked rattled all night, receivers jumping passes left and right. He had no rhythm. He also had the worst rating of the year for him. It was awful. In fact, Stafford's 67.4 passer rating versus the Niners was his lowest since December 23rd, 2000, wait for it, and 18. The Niners took everything away from the Rams. I guess to put it in Garoppolo's words, they took their souls. <laughs> He's like with a Shao Kahn from Mortal Kombat. Your soul is mine. That's what they did. <laughs> they took their soul. In the Rams defense. Oh, the stats don't stop. The stats do not stop here. The Rams defense. They had the most sacks of any team. And they added Von Miller. They added Von Miller. They had zero sacks against the Niners. In fact, no sacks, no quarterback hits, and just seven total pressures per PFF. Tom Compton, Daniel Brunskill, and Lincoln Tomlinson all had two. Alex Mack had one, and... If you didn't know by now, the best left tackle in football and a future Hall of Fame left tackle, Trent Williams, he had the big old goose egg and pressures. We are witnessing greatness 
all over the offense. Trent Williams, Debo Samuel, and maybe if he continues to play well against Jacksonville and Minnesota, that's a five-game stretch of really good football, maybe you can put Jimmy Garoppolo in that category. I'm telling you, I cannot overstate this. The Niners game on Monday, again, (laughs) it just was one of those games you look at and you're kind of dumbfounded of where was this all season? Where was this? You completely demolished a team that, albeit had lost against Tennessee and Stafford hadn't been playing his best football, but we had no right to win this game. No right. In fact, every ESPN analyst other than Steve Young said, and, and I'll admit this, I will eat a whole bull crow. I am happy to be wrong. Happy. I'm, I'm giddy. I'm overjoyed to be wrong. I picked the Niners to lose. I said, oh, Rams are a better team in every single aspect. And I will gladly take that bowl of crow now. Serve it to me on a silver platter. I'm happy to be wrong here. The Niners had no no reason to win this game. And they did. Like everyone thought, besides Steve Young, that they're overmatched, overpowered. There's no way San Francisco can beat the Rams. And they did. <laughs> In every single facet of the game. You talk about the the Rams. They had the second most interceptions in football. They had zero against Garoppolo, who many of us believe, or many of the fans believe, is a turnover machine. They had the sixth most most turnovers in football. They had zero against Garoppolo, who is known to be or historically isn't always the safest with the football. And the Rams' passing defense allowed the second least amount of touchdowns in football. Ten coming into the game. They allowed two. And their red zone defense, a team that was top ten in red zone defense. The Niners were two for two. A hundred percent in the red zone on Monday. Holy crap. (laughs) Again, complete annihilation. The Niners this year are the number one team, and we already knew this, I talked about it plenty of times, it's not about when they get there, it's they have to get there more. They have to get there. Because when they get there, the Niners are the number one team in red zone TD percentage. Starting from 5 to 1. Saints, 69.7%. Rams, 70%. Cardinals, 70%. Seahawks, 71.4%. And the San Francisco 49ers, 79.2%. There is greatness happening. This team is really good, but also sucks at the same time. And it's so confusing. Just like Al Pacino said from The Godfather 3, every time I think I'm out, they're pulling me back in. Like, it's so infuriating too. And, and, oh God, and, and missed tackles. Missed tackles this year have been a big issue, right? Packer game, Cardinal game. Week 8 against the Bears, Niners, 10 missed tackles. Season high. Week 9 against the Cardinals, 10 missed tackles. Season high. On Monday, again, where was this all season? 
one missed tackle. Season low. <laughs> like, what is going on? Now, this game can completely, completely be the outlier. And they can go into Jacksonville and lay a goose egg. Could easily go into Jacksonville, lay that goose egg, and you're like, wow, where was that team from last week? What the heck was this? Again, that, that can definitely happen. But here's why it won't happen. And now we get to preview the Niners versus the Jacksonville Jaguars. Week 11 in football in the NFL. Season's halfway over. God, it's been a long season, but it's gone by so fast. But the Niners, short week. They got to play on Sunday morning, 10 a.m. in Florida. In Florida. Sorry, awful jokes. I apologize. Uh, the Niners are 4-5. and five, Jacksonville 2-7. and seven. The Niners injury report this week. Hasty still has the ankle injury. Maurice Hurst has the calf injury still. Elijah Mitchell has the rib injury still. Also had a procedure on his finger. Apparently he fractured it in the game and still played. Talk about being a dog. Elijah Mitchell was that dog on Monday night. He will likely still play per Kyle Shanahan. But again, just caution to the wind. He has the injury. Trent Williams had a vet day. Jalen Moore, who did leave Monday's game with a knee injury. It's non-structural. No big deal. He will likely play on Sunday versus Jacksonville. Josh Norman, Debo Samuel, both dealing with rib and chin injuries. Again, should be a full go on Sunday versus Jacksonville. And the Niners, also good news. Dre Greenlaw and Jaquiski Tart might be coming back. Their practice windows from the IR have been opened. So we could get even healthier going into a game where we should essentially dominate just like we did against the Rams. But also I do want to mention one thing. Hufanga's played well. Tart shouldn't be starting. Hufanga has earned, at least from a energy side of things, a guy who can kind of make a big hit and spark the defense. He's not the best in coverage, but he was, I think, the third the third ranked player per PFF for this defense this past week, right up there next to Jimmy Ward. Um, and Greenlaw, who, he's tough, because I, I thought that if he was healthy, they would trade him at the, at the deadline. Maybe get a corner, maybe get a receiver, but obviously he wasn't healthy enough, couldn't move him. And and I do like what he brings. He's better in pass coverage than Al Shair. Arguably a better tackle than Al Shair, but Al is having one of the best years of his career. Like, one of the best years outright in his entire career. Like, Al Shair, like, talk about a player who kind of, I don't want to say came out of nowhere, but a player really that was expected to be somewhat, uh, maybe a bench player, a depth piece, really has come on strong. He really has proven to be you know, one of the best players on this team. And Al Shair this year, eight games, eight games. He has surpassed his career total in tackles, tackles for loss, pass deflections, and fumble recoveries. It's going to be hard for Greenlaw and Tart to even get their jobs back. Just not going to happen. Or at least initially not going to happen. Like, the guys who've replaced them have been playing at the top of their game. Or at least have done enough to make sure that Tart and Greenlaw don't earn their jobs back outright. Like, Alshair and Hufanga deserve to continue to play. At least a high percentage of snaps over guys like Greenlaw and Tart. 
we have to talk about Urban Meyer's Jacksonville Jaguars. The Jacksonville Jaguars. They stink. Like, they're really bad. Like, really bad. This team is poorly coached, poorly run. They have really no offensive weapons. Trevor Lawrence is okay. But again, I think we all can agree that this is a team that is reloading, re- definitely rebuilding. Like, they, they are a team that is expected to be bad. And the fact that in their last four games, which they played better, they're 2-2. Two and two. They're 2-0 at home, actually, who the Niners will be going to Jacksonville on Sunday. They beat the Dolphins 23-20, to and this year's been so weird because one week the Ravens are losing to the Raiders, then they're beating the Chiefs, then they're losing to the Dolphins, and the Dolphins are then losing... To like the Jets and Tennessee losing to the Jets. It's just a weird, it's a weird, weird year. Like Mike White's going off in New York. It's just a weird year. But they beat the Buffalo Bills too. 9-6. to six, Held Stephon Diggs, Josh Allen, and that Buffalo offense to 6 points. Like, talk about a disaster from all fronts. And yet the Jaguars who aren't a good team... The 19th ranked offense in football, 31st in points, so they score the second least amount of points. They have they are 25th in total yards, ranked near the bottom in passing yards. They have the fourth most, fourth least, excuse me, fourth least passing touchdowns. They can run the ball somewhat well, but bad news for them. Despite averaging 14 points in their last four games, which is really bad. And allowing 20 points in their last four games, which is not awful, but not great either. Their injury report is much different. Notables not practicing on Wednesday. Miles Jack, a knee injury. James Robinson, their star running back, has a knee injury and a heel injury. On top of that, don't forget their first round pick, Travis Etienne, is not playing all year due to an ACL tear. So guess who could be if Robinson cannot play, which then diminishes their 16th ranked rushing offense. Carlos Hyde might be the Jacksonville Jaguars running back. Former 49er, the heir apparent to Frank Gore. Yikes. <laughs> Yikes. This is a game where despite traveling on a short week, Monday to Sunday to Florida, and despite me thinking that this game might be a little slower than fans think, fans might think, well, it'd be 31 to 7 again, 30, 34 to 10. I think this game will be a lot, not a lot, but lower scoring than that. Jacksonville's playing a little better defensively. They kind of, I don't want to say have somewhat of a groove, but they're playing more confidently. They're playing better at home, 2-0 in the last two games at home. They want to defend Florida. They want to defend... I don't know what their stadium's called. I have a lot of names running through my head. I probably can't say. But <laughs> but uh, they want to defend their, their home field against a team who just, you know, again, really embarrassed a good Rams team on Monday night. 
they they have a point to prove. They they want to play for their head coach who could be fired in a year. They want to play for their quarterback who is supposed to be this you know all pro rookie quarterback in Trevor Lawrence. Who I do think will get there, but it's just he's having a Peyton Manning esque year, really bad for them. Um, they aren't efficient by any means. Their defense stinks. Their defense ranks really twenty third in football. They're awful against the pass. They're a little better against the run. They ranked tenth in rushing yards allowed and 8th in rushing yards attempts, but really, this is a game where Garoppolo should continue his stretch. The Jaguars are 29th in passing yards. Excuse me, excuse me, that's wrong. They're 22nd in passing yards. Garoppolo should have himself a good game on Sunday against this Jaguars team, but I do think this game goes rather slow. Uh, the Niners getting healthier, but also short week, cross-country, could be like that Bears game early on where it's kind of slow-paced. Maybe Jacksonville scores early and it's like, oh, like, what's going on? But I do think ultimately the Niners do win this game 27-16. to This is a game where, again, I do things start slowly, but as the game progresses, as the Niners kind of wake up when it becomes their, their noon o'clock on the West Coast, but in Jacksonville, uh, It'll kind of be a wake-up call for them. The offense will get moving. They can run the ball against this team. Uh, the Jaguars' offense doesn't pack a punch whatsoever. They are getting two players back that actually are worth mentioning, though. Uh, Brandon Linder, who's a former All-Pro offensive lineman, he's back for them, or at least could be back, as he is designated to return from the IR this week. So they could get somewhat of a boost there. And also, tight end James O'Shaughnessy, might come back for them as well. So uh, both teams getting a little healthier, but if Jacksonville doesn't have James Robinson, you really are leaving Trevor Lawrence out there by himself. And I do think guys like Nick Bosa, guys like maybe Ebu Kam, uh, and Amenahieu, who had one pressure on Monday, their trade deadline acquisition, this is a game where they can kind of, again, I think they can get to Lawrence. They can get some sacks here. And I, and I really do think this game might get ugly later. But I do think it, it will kind of be a, a slow start for San Francisco. Uh, Urban Meyer's awful head coach. Shanahan's in groove. Finally, Garoppolo's playing at the height of a season. And Nick Bosa's having, what is he, eight sacks so far this year? Only one shy of his rookie record. And it's halfway through the season. Like, Nick Bosa's here to stay. <laughs> uh, and it's going to be, this Sunday will be the first time since, what, week four? This team has been... At 500, they should be five and five, leaving Jacksonville uh, to go play Minnesota in Week 12. And if they win this week, and maybe certain things go their way, Atlanta loses, Minnesota loses. Well, then guess what? This team is in the wild card hunt again. Hard to say. Like, again, anything can happen this year. Anything has happened, really. But it's also really weird to say that the Niners could be back in the wild card despite really not being that good all season but I think they're turning the tide at the right time all the talk of Trey Lance is kind of done other than maybe guys like Grant Cohn who Grant's a great guy but that talk really has to stop like there's no reason to play Trey Lance right now none none I get it get him reps I understand that but when your quarterback, who you're paying $24 million to, is playing at the height of his season, 
this team plays for him, the offense plays for him, and the offense has just just scored 31 points pretty much outside of the war touchdown, so 24 points for you, you don't bench him or take him out of the lineup for Trey Lance. Now, this is a game where if you want to talk about Trey Lance for a little bit, this is a game where maybe the offense starts a little slow, maybe Shanahan likes what Jacksonville's doing defensively and thinks Lance can help San Francisco out. This is a game where I think we probably should see Trey Lance, which is kind of weird me just talking about how he shouldn't play, but I think this is a game where we should see Trey Lance, only because if it gets ugly later, I'm talking about like 27-7, to 27-10, uh, like four minutes left in the fourth quarter, like let Lance go out there and play. Now, Shanahan said, I'm not going to get him reps just to get him reps. But if there's a package he likes, he thinks he can exploit Jacksonville's defense, why not? Why not play Trey Lance, right? Like, there's no reason no reason not to play him outside of, you know, Jimmy playing so well, right? Like, this offense, he can easily run this offense. Now, how efficient? We don't know. We've only seen it really one time for a full game, and he was obviously amped up. There were injuries in that game, but winnable versus Arizona. But this is a game on Sunday where I think we could see Trey Lance what for the first time since the Cardinals game. Now, the knee injury should be healthy. And I think, again, speculation, but I do think there is there's a good chance we see Trey Lance on Sunday against Jacksonville. I think Shanahan's starting to feel himself a little bit, feel a little more confident in that rhythm. Jimmy's also feeling it. Like, this is a game where you kind of like them to put Jacksonville out early, get those guys rested knowing we have a long season to go, have a bigger game against Minnesota coming up, but still a must-win against Jacksonville. But I do think Jacksonville's beat up. If they ain't got Robinson, they really don't have much of a punch on offense. Lawrence ain't it. Urban Meyer is a really bad head coach, a really bad head coach. Their DVOA is awful, ranks in the bottom of the football. Just just a bad team, bad roster. And it it's expected to be that way, which is why I think if you're picking a team where you think Trey Lance could get really good reps, it's this game. Like usable reps where you're like, look, we're beating them by 25, 27 late. Go in there, get six minutes of action, give me two drives. Let me see what you can do. See different blitzes and defenses and coverages. Maybe get a couple receptions. You don't have to score at all, but just get valuable reps. No three and outs. Build upon what you were showing versus the Cardinals. And I do think this Sunday, because I believe again, my prediction, Niners win 27-10 to after a slow start because of travel, that Trey Lance does play a little bit. Jimmy continues his successful three, which will be four-game stretch of the season. I think guys like Ayuk, maybe Kittle even score again. Imagine Kittle scoring three weeks in a row. Ooh, that sounds nice. <laughs> Especially for fantasy purposes. But I do think Sunday, the Niners are back in this thing. It feels it feels great, baby. <laughs> it feels really good. I'm excited. You're excited. And to find out who's playing who's not playing, you're going to want to follow us on social media, Instagram at 49ers.access, Twitter, 49ers underscore access. You are not going to want to miss a thing. DM me. 
at me on Twitter. Let's talk about this team we love so much. I love those conversations. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, leave a review. Until next time, hopefully we're at 500 again, and we're clapping and cheering, and we're energetic after a long road trip for Jacksonville, then Minnesota in two weeks. Thanksgiving's almost here. It's a good time to be a Niner fan. But until next time, my name is Sterling Bennett. This has been the 49er Access Podcast, and stay faithful.